you are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. This morning, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Matthew and chapter 18. Matthew and chapter 18. If you are new to Live City Church, welcome to church. I hope that your experience is a great one. I hope that you enjoy your time with us. More importantly, we hope that you'll experience Jesus. Uh, In this house, we're just real people. We don't wear masks as much as we can. Both of us have been here long enough know that. We're just real. We, We have our baggage. We have our things, but we give it all to Jesus. And he sets us free. You're going to see people from all walks of life. You'll see some ugly parts of all of us, me included. And there's a great lot of love in this house. And I I just thank you for that. And uh, if you're new to the house today, or this might be your second or third time, we're in the, I started a series called Freedom. And if, uh, I can't go back over all that, but please download the podcasts. Ben's been doing a fabulous job just trying to stay on top of these things and uploading those podcasts. If you have iTunes, uh, like Apple, you can, you can actually look for Live City Church, find the podcast, look for the series on freedom. It's going to set you free. And uh, it will provide the establishment for what we're talking talking about. So last week I talked about the prison of unforgiveness. It's a big, big deal. And it's hard to believe, but in church we struggle with unforgiveness. And it's something that the Lord wants to set everybody free from. So I hope I bought you enough time to look through the book of Matthew and chapter 18. So read with me, follow with me in your Bibles, verse 23. Therefore, Actually, let me give you a bit of the the background behind this. Peter, the apostle, uh, was just chatting away, and he was being a bit of a smart aleck. Jesus was talking about forgiveness. So he says, so Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Should we forgive seven times? And Jesus, you know, because that was supposed to be radical. You know, to forgive two times, three times, that's a big deal. You have a gracious heart. God bless you. So he was taking it across the line. He was actually being a bit sarcastic. How many times should we forgive Jesus? Seven times? Because seven is the number of God. It's a perfect number. And Jesus said, you should forgive 70 times seven. Now, that wasn't meant to say you should forgive exactly 490 times. I mean, you know, imagine keeping track, 488, 489. Oh, phew, I'm the last one. The last time I get to forgive you, 490. That wasn't the point. The point that Jesus was trying to make, listen, if you can keep track of 490 forgivenesses, you're doing pretty well anyway, okay? What he was saying was, I'm going to give you a number that's so big that it's going to be hard for you to keep track of how many times you forgave them. Because what he's trying to say is, in this world, in this life, there are people that are going to hurt you repeatedly. Wives and husbands sort of look at each other and say, I'm not saying a word. <laughs> not saying a word. You got this in your life. You got business people, right, in your company that are hurting you all the time. The, the people that own your own companies, the guys that don't actually pay their bills, you know what I'm talking about, right? Forgive. How can you forgive them? They owe me money. I know uh, guys in here, I don't want to give names, that are owed, hun- uh, I think, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars that haven't been paid. This is, you know, they're due these things. And it's hard to forgive, but the Lord tells us to forgive. How many times? 70 times, seven times. So that's 
pretty good. Beyond 490 times. It's hard because his people are crossing you. So last week I started the series and we talked about the Lord's Prayer. How built into the Lord's Prayer is a section where you say, Father, forgive me my trespasses. My sins is I forgive those who trespass against me. So you forgive me as I forgive others. And this is where Jesus begins to unpack that a little bit more. So let's dig deep. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. So Jesus says to Peter, hey, this is how you should forgive. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, that's actually a figure of money, okay? If you're wondering what it is in today's equivalents, today's currency, it's $1 million. Everyone say $1 million with your little finger here. $1 million? It's a lot of money. You got that? One million bucks. Think that in mind. A guy owes you one million dollars. Since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Do you think they're worth a million dollars? Probably not. According to the, the uh, back in those days, a person was worth 30 uh, uh, shekels of silver, 30, uh, piece, uh, sorry, 30 pieces of silver. So remember when, G when Judas sold out Jesus, how much was he sold for? The price of a slave, 30 pieces. He's not going to get a million dollars out of this couple, out of this family, but he's going to sell them. And look at what the servant does. He falls on his knees before him. He says, be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when, think about that, a million dollars was forgiven on an instant, stroke of a pen. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's worth in today's equivalents, you're probably wondering, $10,000. A million dollars compared to $10,000. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Think about this, right? How about that? He owes him money, but now he's taking violent means to try and get the money back. He's choking him. And he said to him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all your debt, all that debt of yours, because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger. Now think about this. This is a picture of God. If you're wondering if God gets angry, he does too. Even in the New Testament, I know it's hard to believe. But the Bible says he changes not, old King James Version. God does not change. He loves, he's slow to anger, compassionate in grace and mercy. But there also comes a point in time when he gets angry. Look at this. This is not a picture of a happy person. In anger. His master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. Look at what Jesus says next. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. Not might, will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I want you to think about the silliness of this story. 
the, the, the servant that had another servant owe him $10,000. He threw him into jail to pay back the debt. How can you pay back a debt when you're in jail? It, it can't. It doesn't make sense. You've got to be out in the workforce earning money to be able to pay back the debt. In other words, the guy was just going to throw him in prison and, and lock away the key, throw it away. He's still not going to get his money back, but he felt vengeance. I got my re- revenge. But he didn't get his money back. Nothing was solved by the process. What's interesting here is that the master showed mercy, but based on the cruelty of that servant, based on his judgment, that was the same judgment that the master used against the servant who owed a million dollars. Now we're talking about this whole idea of forgiveness that in the Lord's Prayer, we're trying to say that this is important because you need to understand that Jesus is trying to teach us the secrets of the kingdom through the Lord's Prayer. He's saying to enter and to stay in the kingdom, it requires forgiveness that you can't earn. You can't do anything to earn your way into the kingdom. It has to be given as a free gift, but it's that point where you say, God, from my heart, forgive me. You notice the Lord's Prayer says this, Uh, Father, forgive me my trespasses or my sins as I forgive those who trespass against me. In other words, forgive me as I forgive others. So if you can't forgive other people, the Father can't forgive you. And you see that this is one of those dysfunctions that keep us imprisoned and we don't even understand it. I mean, how many people have left church, not just uh, this one included, by the way, but church as a whole because of offense, They couldn't let it go. This is a brother or a sister in Christ who equally loved God in their own way, did something stupid. I'm going to guarantee more often than not, they didn't mean to do it. They had no idea. But because of the level of dysfunction in our lives, we do stupid things. Turn to the person next to you and say, I forgive you for being stupid. Turn to the other person and say, I forgave them. They're stupid. Are you getting the idea here that we're all going to do something stupid at some point in time? But the culture of heaven, and that's what Jesus was teaching, is a culture of forgiveness. You don't hold things over. You start with a clean say, I forgive you. I forgive you. It was stupid. I'll think twice about how much I trust you, but I will still forgive you. I'll let it go. Okay? If, you, if someone is stupid enough, you did business with them, and they owed you all this money, they're never going to pay it back. I'd forgive them. You know, you prayed over it. You handed them over to God. What a dangerous place to be. You handed them over to God. But it doesn't mean that I'll do business with them again. That's it. I've, I've cut it off. But in my heart, I have forgiven them. Here's the interesting thing you need to understand. In the Bible is the key for living a functional lifestyle. The Bible says that if you follow the word of God, you will live long in the land and prosper. I will bless you going in. I'll bless you going out. I'll bless you in the city. I'll bless you in the country. I'll bless everything you put your hands to. I'm going to bless your possessions. I'm going to bless your, in, your uh, investments. Everything about you, I will bless if. There's an if. If you fully obey my decrees and commands. Here's the thing, right? And we, we, we rebel against these things. I'll follow some of those things of God, but I won't follow all. You don't understand. You've got to follow it all to receive the full blessing and favor of God. I looked this up in Hop, uh, Johns Hopkins University. They have a, a department of medicine. It's all about medicine. But they, they had this study, and this is what they said. Chronic anger puts you into a fight 
or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, it increases the risk of heart disease, it increases the risk of diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, leading to improved health. Even modern medicine, without even the benefit of talking about the Bible, is telling you as long as you harbor unforgiveness or offense in your heart, it is destroying you. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Okay, it'll, it'll, it'll drop at some point. <laughs> there we go. All right. Forgiveness is not condoning. So I want to understand this. Some of you, and I'm, I'm really sensitive to this, find it very, very hard to forgive. And rightly so. When you, if, you know, if you ever disclose, I know some of the stories. There are atrocities that were committed against you. This is not justifying. It is not condoning the wickedness that was perpetrated against you. Please understand, I'm not saying that. Forgiveness is about releasing the chains that keep you soul bound to the person who hurt you. When you don't forgive, the perpetrator has power over you. And you let them keep the power over you as long as you can't forgive. Isaiah 61, we began the series about freedom on this one. The, you know, where This is the mandate of Jesus and our mandate. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because of the anointing. He's anointed me to do what? Preach good news to the poor, set captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We're supposed to be releasing people. Instead, we are stuck. We are connected with these people. Here's the thing, you know. We've got, I, 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 um, we passed by this church on the north side of Brisbane. I won't say where it is. A very large church. They did some things to us. We're hurt. We're not the only, by the way, pastors get hurt in church too. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get hurt in church. I'm telling you. It's just a fact. It's a reality of life. You're going to get hurt in your own family. You're going to get hurt in your own marriage. Why? Because we're people, right? we got things we like and dislike. We see the world in different ways. At some point, you'll have some disagreement. But you've got to learn to forgive. But I remember we were so hurt by this church. We served on leadership for years and years. We found out some of the awful things that were talking about us. It was, I found out it actually is true. It was horrible. But as my wife and I drive past this church, you know what I say to her, honey, you know, we've forgiven them long ago. I don't harbor any bitterness at all. It's gone. It's under the blood. But as we drive past it, you know, hon, it's not even the same church at all. Those people don't even remember who we are. The name of the church has changed. The people has changed. But if we didn't forgive them, we'd constantly drive past that place with hurt and with bitterness, never being healed, victimized, chained to that perpetrator that doesn't exist anymore. That person, that wife, that is forever cursing that man that left her, cursing the very day that they were married, cursing the day that he was born. Honey, he's moved on. He's remarried. He's got kids. He's got a better job. He's got a house. He's got a house in the Hamptons. He's over there on the Gold Coast living up big. And while you're there in that cramped up apartment cursing him, who's blessed now, honey? But we hang on to these things. We think we're justified. We think we're okay. And we surround ourselves with people that will agree with us. What do you think Facebook is for? 
We put it up there. Blanky, blank, blank, blank. And the department did this to me. And of course, the same people who also hurt, they got their own dysfunction. Oh, honey, you go ahead and you tell everybody. They ain't helping. They ain't your friend. You tell the person next to you say, they ain't your friend. Facebook ain't your friend. I've got like this ridiculous amount of friends on Facebook. I think it was like a few years ago, it was like 1,500 people. They're not my friends. They're not my friends. They just want my database and network. I know that. I'm not a sucker. And I'm not going to be sharing this stuff to my friends. (laughs) So here's the thing. Jesus understood that if you get trapped in unforgiveness, it is a cycle that will not destroy you spiritually. It will destroy you psychologically. It bringing stress, unforgiveness, that unforgiveness will keep you from sleeping at night. It will cause anxiety. This is what Johns Hopkins University is saying. It will cause depression and it will cause issues in your body, heart attack, disease, diabetes. What do you want? Amen. You were handing yourself over to the torture saying, take me. I want the pain. What are you, masochistic? Let it go. So Jesus, that's why he came. Jesus came to short circuit the devil's ability to keep you chained, to keep you bound in fear, bound in depression, bound in anxiety, bound in worry. Some of you saying, that's me, tick, tick, tick. Bound in loathing, bound in hatred, bound in despair, bound in revenge. Uh, you know, if some of you are saying, I, that's, you just nailed it, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm in pain. Thank you. This church here, if you're new here, by the way, this is not a one of those, I'll just sit and be the audience. We are participating here. You are the message. Help me preach the message. Unforgiveness will keep you from seeing the best in people. It will keep you from believing the best in people. It will keep you from trusting them with your heart and taking a leap of faith, truly enjoying the fellowship of others. How many people want to be like Jesus? Okay. When you said, I want I wanted Jesus to come into my heart, Jesus said, okay, take up your cross daily and follow me. Daily and follow me. So when you took up the cross, you're saying, I'm dying to myself today. Every single day. Dead people don't get offended, folks. <laughs> Dead people don't get jealous. Dead people don't want revenge. You're dead. You're supposed to be taking the cross up, reminding yourself. You know what? I'm one of those Christians who say, hey, if you want to wear the cross, go, f- go for it. Just remind yourself, I'm taking up my cross daily to follow him. I'll take it. Because some, people, some Christians say, oh, only the Catholics wear that. You know, my Jesus, he came off the cross. I know. But you've got to remind yourself, I'm taking up my cross daily so that when you are unforgiving someone and that chain is dangling on your chest, have you got one of those, bro? You know, you're reminding us, oh, that's right. I'm dead to myself. Amen. Consider this in a span of 24 hours. One of his own apostles, this is like pastors. He's the mega church pastor. His pastors are with him. They've got a church of thousands. His, one of his own pastors, one of his own apostles, Judas, 
betrays Jesus. This is one of the great men. He sent out two by two, casting out demons, healing all kinds of diseases. Tw- not once, but twice on campaigns, Jesus sends them out. They come back with all these, oh, Jesus, even the demons fear us. We saw you know, blind eyes, seeing deaf ears, hearing people jumping out of their wheelchairs. They're walking and leaping and praising God. People are coming out of the grave. God is the most amazing thing. And one of them, stabs him in the heart. All the apostles ran away. Jesus said, strike the sheep, the shepherd will go on. Oh, no, Lord, Peter says, I would never leave you. I would never forsake you. All the others might, but I'll never leave you. Jesus says, dude, before, the, before morning comes and the cock crows, you're going to deny me, deny me three times. And there he is. No, I won't. No, I won't. Sure enough, he's doing it. And by the way, the Bible puts us in there for your benefit and mine. He is using profanity to tell the people, no, I don't know this Jesus. You ever gone back to your old lifestyle, <laughs> you know, redeemed by Jesus and things get really tough? And what comes out of your mouth? Blankety, blank, 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 blank. I'm a child of God. <laughs> the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come on you at some point. No, I'll just keep going. That's all right. All the Jewish leaders who are reading the Bible, studying for, and waiting for the Messiah, totally missed it. In fact, these same people that are supposed to be the people that rally with him are conspiring against him, orchestrating false witnesses to get him a death sentence. The people who enjoyed Jesus' ministry, just think about this. You're ministering to the people day in and day out for three years. He feeds their belly with fish and bread. It's miracles after miracles. He's performing these things. And Jesus is healing all kinds of diseases. They're walking in in great pain. They're walking out, leaping and praising God. He's healing them. He's teaching a word where they draw closer to heaven and they realize God loves me and call him daddy. God, this is awesome. The same people when he was coming into the temple, they began putting up palm branches. They recognized that is the Messiah. That is the son of God. And they began to cry out. They knew this messianic decree from the book of Psalms. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they were saying was, and all the religious leaders are freaking out, don't say this. The Romans will torture us. You're saying that is a Messiah that will destroy every other kingdom and usher in the kingdom of heaven. This is dangerous. Don't say this. All the people shout out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us, Messiah. Those same people who he filled their bellies and healed them and set them free from all kinds of oppression. The same people that call out, Hosanna, Hosanna, are now saying, crucify him, crucify him. The company of 80 to 150 soldiers, I found out, Roman soldiers, where he was. It says a whole company came out, these soldiers, and began to beat Jesus. The Bible says they picked up a stick and began smashing him on the head, it says, repeatedly, over and over, pulling his beard, bashing up, didn't broke his bones, by the way, bashing him up even before he got to the whipping. Then they did the whipping, and according to uh, historians, you find they used a cat of nine tails. So for every one hit, they were basically whipping nine times. Imagine that. Nine times 40, 360 whippings. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, his face was marred beyond recognition. He didn't look like a human being. His whole body was tattered. It was pieces of flesh hanging off. And he's up there on the cross. In case you're wondering about the cross, some of the other guys, you'll see depicted on, on movies, they had ropes around their arms and o- over their legs. 
because the uh, the death of crucif- uh, death from crucifixion didn't come from being nailed. That's what you probably thought. It wasn't the nails. It was asphyxiation, where they are reefing themselves up to breathe. <gasps> And then they go down again, but they can't hold a big breath because if you do that, the, your lungs will collapse because your rib cage is being pressed when you hang down. So they can only take short breaths. So they can go up and down, up and up, but he's on nails. His uh, nails, according to the Roman wrist, it was down to here. There's two bones on either side. The, the nail went right through the bones. He is pulling himself up on his bones, pushing up with his feet on his bones to take a breath. In other words, every single breath that he breathed, every single word was measured. And you know what he does with his words? He first talks about his mom. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your woman. To the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's saying, look after mom. And now he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Have you ever got to that point when you realize they don't know what they're doing when they hurt you? They don't understand the pain and how you're being stabbed in the heart. They don't know your background. They don't know you're sensitive to that thing. And they're striking you over and over. And you're struggling here. It's killing you. And everything within you just wants to retaliate and punch them, have vengeance. And Jesus is saying, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus was the most functional of of, of people that ever lived on this planet because he's God after all. Never sinned, never had an issue. He picks 11 dysfunctional people, 11 messed up men, and he changes the world. You hear the stories, the, the most awful people. In Jesus, there was no hatred. Jesus had no unforgiveness. You want to be like Jesus? He had no misunderstandings. He had no offense that he carried on him. There was no anxiety with Jesus. He had no depression. How about this? Jesus had no bad days because he knew every day, no matter what difficulty he had, was ordained by the Father for his good. He slept through storms. He walked through on water. And most of all, he loved and he forgave. Jesus did not lose sleep at night. How many people can sleep through the night without ever waking up? Ah, Praise Jesus. That's me. God chose the most unlikely of people to become heroes of the faith. Abraham and his son Isaac told lies to save their lives. Jacob stole, lied, and deceived. Judah, you know, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah slept with a prostitute, man of God, who happened to be his daughter-in-law. Rahab was a prostitute, again, an ancestor of Jesus. King David committed sin with another man's wife. Not just any man. It was one of his closest confidants, the mighty man of God, and then orchestrated his death. The list goes on. Cain and Abel. If you're new to the faith, you may not know this. Cain. This is straight after they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. The first two that were born from Adam and Eve. They had hundreds and hundreds of kids after that. They lived for a thousand years. Cain and Abel. Cain had it in his heart. He thought, I just love the Lord so much. I want to give him something from, what I, what I, from the fruit of my hands. He was a farmer. He grew stuff, so he thought, I'm going to get some of my crop. I'm going to put it on this thing here, pile of bricks. I'm going to give it to God. There was no command, no law back then that you had to sacrifice. Out of the goodness of Cain's heart, he wanted to sacrifice. His brother saw what he was doing and thought, that's a great idea. His brother Abel thought, I really, I really want to, I love him so much. 
I want to give till it hurts. And so he picks the most precious of his sheep, the best of the best. And that's what he sacrifices to God. And when it comes, when God came, guess which one that he responded to? The offering or the sacrifice? Which one did God pick? He picked the sacrifice. It was so precious because it came from his heart. This really cost Abel something. According to the commentators, what that meant was when God showed favor to Abel's sacrifice, fire came from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. It was from that that the practice of setting the sacrifice on fire came from. Meanwhile, the next day, Cain is looking at his rotting fruit, his rotting vegetables, day after day is reminded, and it's playing on his mind. It was my idea first. I had the idea. I wanted to worship God first, not Abel. Abel took my idea, and he's the one that gets the favor. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. All over worship. So God captures him, and he says, while he's still having that issue in his heart. In Genesis 4, 6-7, he says, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast, Cain? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But you do, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. I want you to write this one down. If you don't master sin, sin will master you. Notice the problem is not with Abel. Abel has no idea that he upset his brother. Not a clue. He was just trying to copy his big brother. Big brother does that. I'm going to do sacrifice too. He didn't realize the difference was that Cain was just giving an offering out of the abundance that he had. It was extra. It didn't cost him anything. Whereas Abel's, it cost him something. It was precious. And what God was saying is this. If you do what is right. In other words, he's saying you can do a do-over. You can't go back in time and fix that, but all you have to do is give another sacrifice. But this time, sacrifice from your heart, something that costs you. You do that, I'm going to accept you. Let it go. But he couldn't let it go. The Bible says that in the end, and this is the thing with unforgiveness and offense, it doesn't just remain as it is right now, just an offense. It will always de-es- it will escalate into something even worse, a spiral that will destroy you. That's why Jesus said in the New Testament, you have heard it said, do not murder. I say to you, if you even hate your brother, you are guilty of the fires of hell. If you think that law was hard and grace is easy, you're sadly mistaken. Grace is hard, the spirit of the law is looking right at your heart, the thoughts of your mind, and Jesus is saying, I see it all. I want to ask you this morning, what is your response to hurt and offense? It destroyed Cain. It will destroy you. Here's another thought I want you to get. Unforgiveness opens the way for sin. It will trap you in its prison, and it will not let you go. Let me finish some thoughts here for you. I came across a scripture that really messed me up a bit. It's like, ugh, what do I do with this one? John 20, verse 23 says this. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Like, what? If I don't forgive them, Heaven doesn't forgive them? 
if I don't, if I don't forgive them, they don't get forgiven. How does that work? I mean, we don't have that kind of authority. I looked it up. Most commentators say this. It was an apostolic decree for all these apostles saying, when you establish the church, if they don't receive it and they're cruel and violent towards you and you don't forgive them, heaven's vengeance will come on them. But if you release them, heaven will release them. But I look at it and I see it so obviously like this. If you forgive a person their sins against you in your heart, they walk around in your eyes forgiven. They're free. But as long as you refuse to forgive them, they remain in your eyes unforgiven. Sentence of death. As far as you're concerned, you hate them. They've got chains all around them. Heaven doesn't look at it that way. You do. And you'll never look at them the same way ever again. Not, not, and people say, sing their praises. You're the first one to scoff. <laughs> I'll believe that if I see it. You might have said this yourself. Let me finish with one story. Many years ago, I was a, an assistant pastor in a church on the north side of Brisbane. And I just finished preaching, and a lady came up to me and said, Pastor Paul, can you pray for me? She was a lady in her 60s back then. Uh, at one time, I could see she was probably this gorgeous lady. She's older now, redhead, very fair. She always wore black to church, and she, her, she was always crippled on her knee. And she told me she had a cancer in her knee. She was going to go see the doctor that week, and it wasn't looking good, the results. She was going to go find out the results the next day. And she was in great pain. She said, will you pray for me? So I said, sure. So I began to pray, and as I prayed, the Holy Spirit gave me just one word very clear, forgiveness. And I knew I couldn't keep on praying, so I stopped, and I, I opened my eyes. I looked at her and said, sweetheart, I, ca I can't keep praying. The Lord is just screaming this in my spirit. Does this mean anything to you? Forgiveness. Oh, and then it happened out of her mouth. I refuse to give my father. He abused me as a child. He abused me in my teenage years. I will never forgive him. And I'll never forgive that man who left me at the altar. He told me he loved me and he left me for another woman. On and on she spewed. She said to me, are you telling me that God won't heal me and that God won't forgive me if I won't forgive them? I said, I'm not saying that. Jesus is. You have to deal with this, with this with Jesus, not me. I'm just the messenger. So this is what I said to her. A doctor will tell you, take two aspirins and call me in the morning. I'm going to tell you this. Take two forgivenesses and you call me when you get healed. Well, Monday was my day off as a pastor. On Tuesday, I walk up to my office and there's a note on my desk. And all it was is very simple, just a few words. Prescription worked. Thank you. Come on, you give a hand to the Lord. She saw the doctor on Monday, and the doctor says, I don't know what's happened. There's no cancers in your body. It's totally gone. You are totally healed. She came to church the next Sunday. She wore flowers. She wore these pretty dresses from then on, and you could see her beauty coming out. Why don't we stand to our feet as we close this morning? Can I invite you to bow your heads? and close your eyes this morning. I want to give you an opportunity because as I was speaking, I felt chains were just breaking off people. Some of you began imagining that person that you have not forgiven. You've held an offense for some time and I could hear some of those chains breaking off. I want you to tell Jesus out loud, well, under your breath, 
that you forgive them. We're going to pray together. I'm going to invite you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes. Honor the person next to you and give them this privacy. And I just want you to whisper out of your breath the name of that person that you want to forgive. Give Give the name first. And then I want you to tell Jesus what you are forgiving them of. You can do it very, very quietly. I'll get the band to play a little bit louder. Thanks, Giuseppe. You can drown them out. Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. Let it go. It is keeping you chained. It is keeping you bound. You've never been the same again. Some of you are are suffering and struggling with illness and disease, whether in, uh, in your body or in your mind mentally, because you have not let it go. You have not forgiven. Jesus is saying, forgive so you can be set free. Forgive so I can bless you. Let it go. Some of you, it's more than one name. It's going to be several names. You tell the Lord. You imagine and you recount, recall what happened, and I want you to forgive them. Face it. Face it. Face it before the cross. Because Jesus wants to forgive you. Jesus wants to heal you. Jesus wants to set you free, but you must set them free first. Forgive me, Father, as I forgive those who trespassed against me. Forgive them in Jesus' name. Father, we come to you. And Lord, we just come with a spirit of humility. As we declare, Lord, we are no better than the person that hurt us. We are all sinners, every single one. For all have fallen, uh, have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one. There's not one righteous man, not one righteous person. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at lifecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Life City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to lifecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.